I've learned gratitude comes from also saying, this is hard. This is painful. It's messy. I am stuck. I don't know what to do. And letting out those tough emotions, accepting them, first of all, that we feel that and moving through them and then saying, and I'm also grateful. I think we have learned we have to move through the dungeons to actually appreciate the light. If I just keep saying I'm grateful, it's superficial. Welcome to the Genius Women Podcast. I'm your host, Yulia Denisiuk, a published travel photographer and writer, an entrepreneur, and founder of Genius Women. Four years ago, I quit my corporate job to pursue my dreams. And today, I'm on a mission to help other women pursue their creative dreams as well. This is Genius Women, a podcast where we explore living a rich, meaningful, beautiful creative life through in-depth conversations with brave women pursuing their wildest dreams. If you're ready to put your fears and doubts to the side, go after your dreams and step into your brilliance, you're in the right place. Let's go. On this episode, I'm joined by my dear friend and a genius woman, Viba Chakani. Viba is a leadership coach with over 15 years of experience growing purpose-centric startups in India and the US. Through her work, Viba effortlessly blends the spiritual woo-woo and the practical doo-doo to serve leaders in cultivating what she calls skillful human presence. Vipa's story shows us how to keep honoring bravely what our souls want. Even when she had the fear of the unknown, she chose to act and step into that unknown boldly. Vipa left her life in India behind for a transformation in the U.S., And she has come full circle now by coming back to India and becoming a transformation coach there. Her story is just so, so incredible. And on this episode, Viba is sharing her wisdom and her incredible energy with the world. I'm so thrilled to welcome her. But before we jump into it, if you're new to the podcast, welcome The Genius Women podcast is available on all major podcasting outlets, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. So make sure you subscribe and leave us a five-star rating and review. It helps us so, so much to get the word out about the show. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, please do me a favor and listen to this episode in its entirety. And promise me that at the end, If it was valuable to you, you'll go on your phone or on your computer and leave us a five-star rating and review right then and there while the excitement is fresh. Thank you so, so much. All right, let's jump into it. Dear Viba, I am so excited that you're here today and you're going to share your incredible story with us. And so I want to start where I always start with these interviews, which is tell me what were you dreaming about as a kid growing up? Um, Being powerful and of being a very good, uh, dutiful wife. That's such such an interesting combination too, right? Powerful and a dutiful wife. 
I'll tell you, I was confused. <laughs> um, what did power mean to me? Just, um, oh, I was always, if you asked anyone to describe me as a kid, I was always like full of energy, uh, never sitting still, not walking straight, always would dance on my way to the kitchen if I was going to grab a glass of water. It was just always like this full of life, I would say, and powerful for me meant just feeling fully alive and um, also meant that I was visible, I was seen, I got to be wherever I wanted to be in that moment, uh, whether it's playful or, or sincere or emotional, whatever it was, a sensitive. And I loved power from when I was a kid because I used to be the class monitor. That's what we called in India. I loved having power of just being like that visible person up in front of the class or being an elected representative of my fellow students when I was in the student council in the school. This is think of Hogwarts style. You had like captains and Ooh. prefects. Yeah, I know. Ooh. I can just see Viba dancing through the kitchen. That like just that image is in my head right now. That's so amazing. Yeah, my uncle used to call me uh, VC83, which is uh, now I'm going to reveal my age. But you know the AK47 <laughs> rifles, and he like took uh -huh. my initials, which is VC, and I was born in 1983. So it's like VC83. So you're like a rifle. You just once you get going, you're just going. <laughs> so. That's a good quality for like resilience, which I think is something that we can see show up. I know your story and I'm excited for you to reveal it uh, for our listeners as well. But that resilience is probably something that can show up in that comparison as well. Just mm. keep going. Tell me, what, what was it like growing up in Mumbai in that time? It just... Uh, it's just such an interesting place, I think, to be growing up. Yeah. Um, I was talking to my aunt today and we were collecting some old times. And I grew up in a very conservative, traditional Indian household. And by that, I mean, it was what we call a joint Indian family. It's just living with extended family under the same roof. So I grew up in a three-bedroom apartment that I shared with eight other people. That was my parents, brother, my uncle and auntie, my dad's brother and his wife, and their three kids, my three cousins. And so it was pretty packed. <laughs> Nine of us in three rooms, and I was the youngest member of the household. So there were four other kids older than me, and then, of course, our parents and and I, I, we never were like wanting of anything, but it was pretty humble upbringing, like lots of family time, lots and lots like family has just been the center of the universe for me for so much of my upbringing and uh, lots of sharing. I remember that's the word that comes up when I think of my childhood. There was a lot of sharing, whether it's shared space, shared closets, shared study table desks and sharing food everything was just shared i remember as kids everything was equal for the five kids no matter mm. if it was something that came from my auntie's family if there were like some foods or chocolates or anything candy or anything that would come from my cousin's maternal uh grandparents side or my maternal grandparents side, everything was just shared it was like once it entered the house it was 
divided five ways for all the five kids. And uh, I thought it was just like really cool how both my uncle, auntie and my parents like co-parented all five of us. And I yeah. remember just a lot of, a uh, lot of people all the time and if this wasn't enough we would have my auntie visit with my three other cousins (laughs) every other weekend or something they would come and stay overnight on you know Saturday night they would come on Saturday and leave on Sunday and so it was like oh my gosh mattresses are being rolled out we had these roll-up mattresses and we would like just full of uh full of people and laughter and Mm. Just uh, conversations, yeah. You know, it's so interesting because we've had incredible conversations together. And I remember from the first time I've met you, I remember thinking to myself that there is so much warmth around mm-hmm. you, that like you, you give out this beautiful warmth. And to me now, what you're saying about your background in which you there was so much sharing and so much, you know, that energy, I feel like I see where that warmth that you have is coming from. And it's beautiful. <laughs> it's really Absolutely. Beautiful. I would say it's thank you. I think it just totally comes from my childhood. I, I tell you, Julia, I never, I don't recall eating a single meal alone till I was 27 and moved to the United States. And wow, a little embarrassing, but I'll say, no. I asked my housemate, my roommate in grad school, if she would, when I first arrived from India to the US, I asked her if we could at least eat one, one meal a day together because I've never eaten alone in my own home. You know, mm-hmm. I grabbed some food on the go outside. That's different. But I don't remember sitting at the dining table ever eating by myself till I was 27. Wow. Wow. That's incredible. So we will, I, I want to hear how a class monitor from Mumbai ended up going to grad school in the U.S. I want to hear how that path unfolded for you. But before we go there, who were, tell me, who were the women that inspired you or that had special meaning in your life when you were growing up in in that apartment where where there was a lot of sharing uh, going on in Mumbai? Mm -hmm. I'll answer that question with just sharing I think this is important to say that I didn't know a single woman personally that I was related to that ever worked, and by that I'm working outside of the home, having a career, having a job, having any kind of economic activity, economic means for themselves. So constantly surrounded by the women who were homemakers, and that includes my mom and my aunties. The women that stand out for me that I looked up to as a young girl, my auntie, my dad's sister, is the first one that pops in my mind. She is uh, always someone I'd looked up to just for how, again, maybe warm she is, how stable and I'd say secure in herself. I don't think I've ever heard her be like anxious or 
insecure or uh, flustered. Not that our life has not had its own share of challenges, but just always just very grounded, that sense of grounded, secure sense of self. I still see that in her till date. She's, she, how old is she now? 63. And, and very creative, very talented. Give her anything, whether it comes to embroidery or making things with her hands, just an amazingly talented woman in every way of the word. And uh, the other person that comes to mind, the other woman that I think has a very strong influence on my life is my grandmother's sister. I did not know, I unfortunately didn't get the chance to know either of my grandmothers. They passed away when I was uh, very young and they lived not in Mumbai, they lived far away. But my grandmother's sister lived four blocks away from us and she has been a constant presence in my life even now when she's not here with us she's passed away but this woman was again a matriarch very grounded like a rock for the family mm-hmm. for extended family for those of us who were like her sister's grandchildren and a sense of contentment I think both of these women I'm thinking about had a deep sense of contentment with life, as it were, for them. And the sense of keeping the family together. Yeah, and extremely talented again. Very hardworking women. Wow, I that just that, that gives me chill thinking about it because, gosh, it's so important when you can see someone having that sense of groundness. I just... Because I, I feel like... And, and this is maybe me now projecting from my own journey, but mm-hmm. that anxiety that we can have, especially as women, especially as we're trying to do something new and different in the world, as we're stepping out of the more traditional paths that are in front of us, mm-hmm. fe- feeling like a rock inside, it's so important. It's so important for you to not step off of that journey and the fact that you had women that you you saw in your life like that's just so incredible that's amazing it's amazing yeah i think both of these women i don't remember seeing them flustered if you know what i mean flustered mm-hmm. or wavering they were just unwavering and um able to be strong and provide strength to so many around them. Mm. And of course, I, I have no you know, doubt that they didn't have their own challenges. I know they did. But the ability to still reestablish themselves in their own sense of self and keeping the bigger picture in mind, I think keeping what's at stake in mind, I could see them doing that for them the stake was always family and the mm. well-being of other family members and so that that I feel it gave them the sense of purpose and it's pretty inspiring to see that even if I didn't have any aspirations as a kid to be like oh I'm going to be like my sense of purpose is just keeping the family together but today when I look back I I see that in the for my chosen family, maybe, if I would think of 
extending beyond mm-hmm. my world family or community. I do have that aspiration in me. I see that seed got planted somewhere for me as well. Yeah, and I I love how you said your chosen family and your um, community because I think especially if we talk about life here in the U.S., mm-hmm. that there's these very big dichotomies in the way there is such a big focus on family and community in places like Mumbai, although that might be changing now too, right? Mm-hmm. As the lifestyle is becoming more oh, uh, westernized. But I feel like there is this hole in, or again, I might be projecting too, because that's how I feel <laughs> as I go and travel around the world. And I see all these warm communities and there's just such a focus on communities in some of the places that I travel to. And then when I come back to the U.S., I just always feel like that the focus is not on that, right? The focus is on something else in the U.S. It's on making yourself. It's it's all about yourself, right? And about mm-hmm. becoming successful here. Although that's also changing because I do think that people mm-hmm. are feeling the need for that type of community and warmth and a sense of belonging with others here in the States as well. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I think what you're bringing up kind of resonates for me. And I'll add that, you know, one thing I remember in the background of my childhood and my young adult years is also this overbearing sense of community and family ties to the extent that I remember these words, who am I to? Either being told to me by mm. others or somewhere me picking it up in the larger soundscape that I was a part of or at least an internalized voice in my head that started to take root of who am I to in a way that is diminishing of a sense of self in a very collective culture so Mm -hmm. who am I to dream big and who am I to be an engineer when I wanted to be one who am I to and you can just finish that sentence with all kinds of things that could be dreams, aspirations, or areas for flying high or becoming something. So much so that I actually do not recall as a kid or when I was young to ever been have asked by someone else that, who do I want to be when I grow up? Because there is this big sweeping assumption and a path that is so well trodden by countless other women before me that is just path A, B, all the way to path Z. There is no other way. And I think that is a shadow of the collective culture. So I wanted to bring that in because it certainly played in for me where then I started to, of course, being this, like I said, VC83, full of life uh, person to constantly chipping away big parts of me, shutting them out, suppressing, and then diminishing my sense of self or self-worth or like feeling I'm not deserving, not qualified enough, not this, 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 not enough, not enough, not enough, something. And that is where I think my journey in the US has been, has given me that sense of self, the individual Mm. and the individualization, uh, call it what you will, like the opposite of the 
you know, everybody's painted in one the same color to, oh, I can actually step out and try something different. Yeah. No, I love that you bring this up because you're absolutely right. I almost feel like for some of us who are fortunate enough to experience both worlds, mm-hmm. we can almost pick up those, that both of those worlds, the best of that both of those worlds have to offer. Because yeah, you're absolutely right. That sense of self and the sense of uh, being worthy and the mm-hmm. sense of having aspirations and dreams. It's so incredibly important for us being on that path of becoming the women that we want to be. So that's, I love that you brought it up. But tell me, so what was the, then the pivotal moment where, you know, you had that inkling that you were an individual, you had aspirations that didn't fit those paths that were laid out in front of you and you decided to go and pursue a life in the U.S. and study in the U.S. Was there like a moment where you realized that there is another path in front of you and you want to go and pursue it? And if so, how did you make that that first step towards that path? Because I feel like there's a lot of us who often are facing different paths and are maybe even wondering about those different paths but some somehow something is stopping us from taking that first step which that first step is so important yeah oh wow so my journey to the u.s this is just it's a very non-linear i guess that is how it is for everyone. But as I said, I think uh, as a kid, it was like to be powerful and to be a dutiful wife. So I tried that path. I was I was married mm. when I was barely 22. And mm. uh, until then, the plan was, yeah, get educated, go to college if you want to. This was the message from the family, from the community. And then everything else needs to be in service of your future family. And uh, you can go up to a certain point, right? (laughs) And then go chase your dreams up to a certain point, but then come back on this path. Exactly. Don't fly too high. You can only fly to my feet high. And so I went to college. I uh, had a degree in business. It was, again, trying to dream, trying to break out, but then always retreating back. And a lot of it was internalized for me from everything around me, of course, seeing all my cousins who were just a couple years older than me getting married. They all went to college, all smart, talented women. And then not to say that being a homemaker is is anything bad or wrong with that. I just, Mm -hmm. I also went down that path and then it didn't work out well for me. And Mm -hmm. I, I, before I was 25, I contemplated suicide I uh, just couldn't recognize myself in the mirror because I had just call it what you will adjusted compromised spent over backward or just not stayed true to my true self to a degree that I just couldn't relate to my own self and neither could my friends people who I grew up with relate to me by people, I don't mean family members. They, For them, it's like, oh, you're just following this the, 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 the plan and it's great. But mm-hmm. my friends, for example. And so I was completely disillusioned before 25 and hit rock bottom in every way that I can, at least I've known. And um, was ready to throw it all away because I just couldn't keep everyone happy that I thought I had to keep everyone happy. 
And in that process, I'd forgotten what happiness for me meant, how to keep myself happy or what makes me happy. I didn't even know what makes me happy. I was just completely out of touch with myself, with life as I wanted it or understood it. And just completely helpless. And of course, now when I look back, there's just massive amounts of fear. Massive mm. amounts of fear syndrome had to, just taken root in me that I was a pleaser. I was constantly thirsting for validation. I was just no clue. I was like trying to find my voice, but going about it in such absolutely unproductive ways, ineffective ways. And also allowed that culture that I was part of to supersede what I knew in my gut to be right or wrong, true or false for me. Yeah, it was just, um, I mean, in a way, of course, hindsight, it's 2020. To have that experience in my mid-20s was has been a gift. But at that point, I remember feeling like I'm an upper middle class, educated, young fairly ambitious woman and this plan that I was told since the day I was born isn't working for me and I don't have another plan and so I just felt unworthy of even being alive and worthy of trying or knowing how to do it differently or to even um, I mean there's a lot of massive amounts of guilt massive amounts of I'm not doing good enough and I haven't tried enough but in my heart I knew that's not true I've tried everything I could or at least I knew but I remember seeing some women destitute women who'd been abandoned by their families potentially faced a lot more trauma and violence than I had and I don't mean only physical violence I did not have to suffer through physical violence, but I knew these women, I'd seen them in a in a in an ashram in a center in South India. And I remember thinking, these are probably illiterate women who have not had the opportunities I've had in my short life. And yet they are pulling themselves through the trauma they've faced and putting their kids through school, learning how to make candles or do some things that allows them to earn their daily wage and live a life of dignity in some way and put their kids through school and all of that. And I remember thinking, I don't have that purpose in my life because I don't know what is it that I would live for if mm. I ever emerged from this trauma. And that kind of started my quest for realizing if I don't have the perfect husband, perfect kids, perfect home, whatever, and if this is not working out for me, I need to find what I must live for. And of course, I'm saying this and I'm like, oh, yeah, I was so brave. But the truth is, Yulia, I wasn't. I was just shit scared and uh, just didn't know any better. And again, this is where the power of community comes through. Were it not for my family who had to take a stand alongside me and in a way help me take a stand for myself because I was ready to, again, press down, suppress this urge that this is not working out for me, still go back and make it work or suffer through it all. But my family really stood by me like a rock in that time, considering we didn't know a single person who had been divorced personally. And uh, they didn't know how this was going to play out for the rest of my life. And this was a matter of my entire life at stake. But they helped me assert myself and uh, fight a pretty long 
drawn divorce case. And in the midst of that, my father suggesting, I think you should go to the US and get an MBA and start again. And I fought him, Yuli. I fought him so bad on that idea because I thought, how could he tell me to uproot myself? I've just gone through so much. I was stuck. Basically, I was paralyzed and in denial. And I didn't know how to move forward with my life. I just wanted to retreat back and live a much smaller life. And it was my father's idea to go to the US, which I fought him on for six months before I conceded. So you asked me what was the moment. The moment was me realizing I can't fight my father anymore on this. <laughs> that maybe he knows more about life than I do. And maybe he can see beyond this where I can't right now. But I, I trusted and, uh, and went to the US. Wow. Listen, there's so many gems in everything that you said. And I so appreciate the fact that you brought up the fact that you were going through this incredible challenge and you had fear and yet you made it out on the other side of it. Because I think we, uh, especially as women, we beat ourselves up so much and we all have fear. We all go through especially those big challenges in front of us when we're trying to change something, we all have incredible fear. It's a myth to think that some of us push through it without any hesitation, but to recognize that's a normal condition and you push through it anyway, I think it's, it's super important. And, and then you also said what, what you said about seeing those women in an ashram and seeing how they had a purpose that allowed them to to push through again push through mm -hmm. those challenges that they were facing and then what that would look like for you so you had this insight in you to look outside of yourself and to look at other people surrounding you and and seeing how they were dealing with those challenges and i think that's that's incredibly powerful as well wow. amazing julia i was terrified Oh my gosh, yeah. I felt completely terrified of what I had done by stepping out of tradition, stepping out of my marriage, stepping out of the relationship. It was just absolutely terrifying. And uh, I remember I lived in what if, what if I'm not, what if this, we never get back together? What if? Because I had left in a state that I hadn't fully thought through <laughs> the repercussions of what I was doing, to be honest, mm -hmm. but it was a moment of, call it what you will, like your soul finally crying out loud for just that one step. You know, I feel like a lot of times you go around and around, like you're on a conveyor belt, like a baggage claim belt on the airports. You just keep going around the same, circling around the same situation, circumstance. And I think sometimes we just need to take that one step off that conveyor belt and then you may not know the next step after that but that one step is the is the one I took by leaving and then I had no clue what would come from it so the anxiety the fear was very very prominent and I think what helped is having voices around me who also had their own what if tape playing in their head but to me, they were able to say, even if, 
even mm -hmm. if this doesn't work out, you will be my, for my father to look me in the eye and say, you don't have to go back and make this work, this marriage work. You can just come back, which is a big deal. And this is where maybe it's helpful to put a bit of a cultural context that in my culture, you know, women don't come back after marriage because the Hindu family, the Hindu wedding ritual is where the father giving away the bride is called, I'm going to translate, it's donating the bride, giving away. And so you never take back what you've given away. It's the way it works in practice. But for my family to say, yeah, even if this doesn't work out, even if you're worthy, you're loved. And I think we need those voices to overcome that fear because you can't do it alone. The fear can take over. But if we have even some voices around us that say, even if, it really helps. Gosh. But this is so powerful. This is so powerful. You're, you're absolutely right. And you're uncovering something so fundamental, I think, especially on this road of becoming the women we want to be, is that we are given permission to fail by those who love us and mm -hmm. by those who are important to us. And that is just so huge, right? When you have support like that and when, yeah, you're turning that what if full of anxiety into even if, which is unconditional, right? It's unconditional. Even if yeah. we're here and we're supporting you. That's yeah. Incredible. Because that allowed me to shift, Julia, to be honest, I was in such a victim mindset with this whole my marriage not working out. Oh, I have to. Now I have to go to the US. I have to fight this divorce case. I have to start afresh. And my cousin, who I'm very close to, she's like a sister to me because I don't have a sister of my own, but she's she and I grew up together. And she said to me what I will never forget. She said, you get to. You get to do this, which mm. all of us, your other cousins, and I'm going to, and she's speaking for herself, but she's like, we didn't get to live our lives the way you possibly can if you go. Yeah. You get to. And I could just, at that point, to be honest, couldn't see that because my own, I have to, was the victim mindset or the fear again and the habituated pattern of playing small or diminishing or even I'm just noticing my own shoulders right now just sort of like curl up it's like just hiding playing small and I never thought oh I get to and when until she said it and I truly honest to God felt like oh if I don't do this with them which in that moment gave me that sense of purpose again or that lift because again I didn't love myself enough to still see what she meant and so instead of saying, oh, I get to because I'm so awesome, I said, I get to because others didn't. Yes, yes. It's like, until we get to that point when we are able to say, I get to because I'm amazing, yes. we have to use whatever available tools uh, that we have to keep going. And for you at that moment, that tool was choosing yeah. to do it for them. Yeah. Yeah, oh, that's yeah, that's incredible. 
Wow. <laughs> so tell me, Vibas, you went to the US, you got an MBA, and then you've chosen a new path for yourself that was also so far outside of, I think even, I'm not sure, but I think even of what you were studying as well, yes. right? Yeah. So for me, the thing, the thread that I grabbed onto in that moment of hitting rock bottom was purpose. And in that moment for me, it was oh, I, have, I know business, I've studied business, I come from a business family background, uh, it's where I feel comfortable. It was like, oh, I want to work towards social entrepreneurship. That was my big banner, or let's say the thread I was grabbing onto for life in a way at that moment. Mm -hmm. um, maybe I'm going to just do good by using my business acumen and profits with purpose. That was like my motto or mantra. And so I worked for a social enterprise in New York. I, I After graduating business school, it was very clear I wanted to work for a social enterprise and had an amazing, oh my gosh, I met some amazing people. Like again, talk about people with just hearts on fire. Again, part of my chosen family, a big part of my chosen family now is friends I met at work. And uh, I worked in that scene for almost, uh, let's see, about three years or so, and sort of lost, lost track of, again, um, finding a bigger purpose that was not just that. And, and, I, and I recall feeling I was again making myself small because you go as an international student to to America and you're like, okay, let me get a job that sponsors my visa. And I did that. Great. And now I must never lose this job because God knows it's going to be hard to find another one. So I held on to that job for a little longer than I should or needed to or wanted to, to be honest. But again, fear, always that fear of, oh, what? I don't know what I want to do with my life. I don't want to go back to India yet. Let me just keep keep playing this ball till I can, right, in this job. Mm -hmm. I stayed there, but then life has its own way of saying, that's not enough for you. So I felt, again, disillusioned. I remember feeling it was hard to get out of bed and go to work, even though it was an amazing company, amazing mission and people, like literally everything I could have asked for. It was a perfect job for me until I had outgrown it. And, and you know, try fitting in an old pair of jeans you've outgrown, it's painful. <laughs> so it's painful to stay in something I had outgrown, but I just couldn't admit it to myself until one day I just sat my boss down and said I would like to discuss transitioning out of my role and out of the company and as soon as I uttered those words I was like oh sh shit like did I really just say that because I'm on a visa I don't have another job lined up but I just couldn't do it and I think my soul just keeps crying out when I have, when I have uh, pushed it aside too much. And so I quit that job. And for the first time, Yulia asked myself, who do I want to be when I grow up? Mm. And other questions like, what makes me come alive? What do I do because I must do it? Because without that, I'm not me. And I started looking for those things, not what I should do. By the way, I'm going to make a plug for an amazing book called Crossroads of Should Versus Must. I remember reading that book at that time, and for the first time, the language of should became clear of how should is 
always the external conditioning, always coming from other people, culture, society, call, you, call it what you will. And I started asking myself, what must I do? Because without that, I'm not me. And I started to find me. So I didn't work for nine months, which was not what I had ever imagined. Because that's also something like you just said you didn't work for nine months because that's not something you always imagined. Because we in our societies, whether it's in India or in the U.S., you not working is considered to be a sin. Oh, yeah. Can you not be working and, and instead dedicate this time to figuring out what makes Viba tick? I remember everyone asking, yeah, people asking, so where are you going next? And I said, I so don't what's know. Next? What's next? Right? Yes. What's next for you? Absolutely. And I, it was, I felt ashamed at points yes. and uh, afraid again of saying, I don't know what next. And that I'm yes. taking this time to figure out. It's a lot of pressure. Yeah, uh, totally. Like me not working meant for my family in India. So why are you in the US then? Why don't you just come back and we'll find you another man to marry? And for me, that was, I was <laughs> certainly not ready for that. And then in the US, it was like my friends looking at me, other friends who are immigrants saying, what were you smoking? Who quits a job when you don't have another job and you need a visa? It took incredible, it took incredible courage, I think, Viba, for you to do this. And I recognize this so much because I've gone through a similar path with my mm -hmm. uh, corporate yes. job in which I was making great money and I was the first in my family of immigrants to secure a future, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And... Exactly like you, I was waking up every morning with this uh, stone in my heart because I knew that what I'm living out is not the life that is my own. And I think there are so many people out there who are feeling this way. And it's so freaking hard to ad first admit that, really, to be honest with yourself, that's what's happening. But then <clears throat> beyond admitting doing something about it it's hard it's mm -hmm. incredibly hard and it seems to me listening to your story uh today that you have a gift for honoring what your soul is telling you however hard it is and however much however long it takes you to get there but you are able to honor your soul in the end when it tells you, okay, it's time, it's time to change. It's it's time to do something differently. And that's incredible. Yeah. And even as I hear you say that, thank you. I'm saying that thank you on behalf of my soul, because, you know, in those <laughs> moments, I fight it to the nail. It's not yes. easy. It's yes. just, oh my gosh. It's. I think my soul has had to like, shake the life out of me to get me to pay attention sometimes because the burdens we carry and I, I want to say this to whoever's listening your burdens may look incredibly different from mine but they are there and they are tangibly felt they may be invisible but they're tangibly felt and for me I had all of these firsts right first woman in my family 
to get a divorce, first woman in my family to get a master's degree. Last time I checked, I could be wrong. First woman in my family to live on my own and work in a job and be in America, like all that. So I let all of that also burden me because then it meant just make good with what you have. Be grateful. I had classmates who were unable to get jobs with visas and had to return back to their home countries. And and I think we, over time, we tend to play small by those burdens of be grateful. I think gratitude, I want to speak to this because I've learned gratitude comes from also saying, this is hard. This is painful. It's messy. I am stuck. I don't know what to do. And letting out those tough emotions, accepting them, first of all, that we feel that, and moving through them and then saying, and I'm also grateful. But you have to, I think we have learned you have to move through the dungeons to actually appreciate the light. If I just keep saying I'm grateful, it's superficial. Mm. Yes, yes, I love that. I love that you're acknowledging the darkness that comes with it because we de- we definitely don't want to say that all of these journeys are super easy and smooth sailing <laughs> because they're not. They're not. Oh my they're god. Rough and, it, and it's very lonely. I will say it's yes. very lonely because another part of our culture is we don't talk about how tough things are. I remember feeling so alone and so not understood by my closest friends. And God, I love them and the incredible women again. But they couldn't understand what I was also trying to understand in my own self. And that mm-hmm. can feel very lonely. And yes. it not just feel like you're walking through a dark dungeon, but you're also walking alone. And that's where... I think the power of building a support system, a community where even if they don't understand, they can just allow you to you know, be with the messiness of it, the unknowingness of it. I just made that word up, I think. It's <laughs> powerful just to be like, I see you. I see you wrestling with something that I don't understand and you're trying to understand in yourself, but... I see you. And I tell you, the people who did that for me, I can clearly see their faces in front of me even now because they just had to say, I see you. And I got power and strength from that to keep going. Mm, Yes, yes. And I've learned this over the past four years or so as I also veered off the smoother path of staying in corporate and uh, Mm -hmm. veered off into this path of the unknown and making my own path for myself. And I 100% agree with you that for, for me, I think the biggest challenge and also the impetus for now starting uh, Genius Women was Mm -hmm. this deep realization how alone I was on this path and how I was yearning that community and that support of people who like you said might not know completely or understand completely the path you're building in front of you but who recognized your path and your struggle and who saw you Mm -hmm. and said i'm here with you even though i don't know where this leads it's so powerful 
it really is and there and i think that is one way in which we can love in this world is that i don't know where you're going with this but i see you i'm here with you and you get to telling me i get to instead of the who am i to like who am i to quit my job and who am i to dare to you know try something different who am i to which is the just the negative the critical voice that can bring the best of us down on our knees but those that can say you get to i see you i don't understand it i don't know where you're going but i'm here standing by you and i think in that one one thing i'd say is maybe you'll relate to this yulia because you've done some incredible things in the years i've known you is finding our humanness in our human mess oh i love that because you know for me the the challenge comes from the absolute polarity of in one moment i will hold myself as a giant like i can do anything i am incredibly tall in my sense of self powerful call it what you are confident all those things i'm a giant in my own eyes but i can also hold myself as the smallest most worthless minuscule yeah version of me like i can it's these two opposite ends of the spectrum and i think i'm just learning that the the middle part is the humanness part like just being human and finding that's a very messy part <laughs> the other is a black and white crystal clear the the middle is just the human mess in the humanness yes i love that i love this phrase it's uh, i have to write it down and and keep it in front of me when i go through that i i think that in some way this is at the crux of what it means to be human in this world is to be able to hold those both on different levels for sure mm-hmm. oh my goodness i love our conversation so much this is so beautiful but tell me so after you had that what's the word you had <laughs> that lux- luxurious nine months where you were not working <laughs> no indulgent in- indulgent That's what I wanted to say, indulgent, because yes. we indulge ourselves in this. Absolutely. After you had that time, and now you are a leadership and transformation coach, which you're doing an, an incredible job in that sphere. So if you could briefly tell us what helped you along the way to figure out that this is the work and the sphere into which you want to be moving fully, that would be awesome. Yeah. So my giant pause was was the way to figure out what I wanted to learn and experiment with next and I thought I had a brilliant idea. Lots of brilliant ideas come up in 9 months. But um I had this brilliant idea. I wanted to get into hospitality. I wanted to have my own bed and breakfast or I don't know, I just loved hosting. I still I mean I do still love hosting. And I left New York City, moved upstate on a little farm. 
to live in this co-living experiment with a lot of other people from very diverse backgrounds and uh, run run a very small, I'd say, retreat house, retreat center, where we would host groups and, and I just loved cooking for them and the whole shebang of it. And I did that for... I'd say over a year until I came to a point where if I had to do one more load of laundry when the groups go through, I was ready to shoot someone or shoot myself. And so learned after a whole year of doing that, a year and change that, nah, no, I love hosting, but not hospitality as a line of work, let's say for me. And, uh, I was just incredibly lucky to be in the right place at the right time with the right people because the two of the folks I lived with were executive coaches and um, also incredible friends of mine, mentors, older brothers, if you will, just many things rolled into one and housemates, of course, and um, started working with them on uh, their coaching business. So for about three, uh, three and a half years now, I've had the incredible luck of having a front row seat in the world of coaching, not as a coach, let me say that. It all started with being the business person, the operations person, the business development person, like a CEO of a three-person company, let's say. But I had the incredible like learning opportunity of learning how to build a business from the ground up, a coaching business, and got to do all kinds of things in that. It was been a crazy ride, I tell you, Julia. And all this time in my uh, social circle, in my work circle, like I just encountered incredible coaches, incredible human beings, let me say, who, who gave generously even in just informal chats with them or time I got to spend with them. I think I got informally coached for three years, let's say, without paying a single dollar for it. (laughs) Just just really lucky, yeah? And uh, I I started to see these are some of the people I admire. But, you know, there's also this doubt can come in many forms. And for me, my skeptic, doubting uh my inner skeptic was like oh god everybody i need it seems is a coach too many coaches gosh everybody's just like drinking this kool-aid and there was this um sense of inner rejection of the word coach even though i was building a coaching business and i worked for one and i was employed by one but there was this resistance to the word coach and uh, i'll fast forward that Thanks to one of these uh, mentors I just spoke of, they just said, oh, why don't you just go and, you know, try the fundamentals level one of this coaching certification training program. And I thought in that moment, I was starting to get disillusioned from my work again. It's a cycle that keeps repeating every three years, I think, Julia. And I said, uh, all right, I'll go for this weekend because I need to drink the Kool-Aid on coaching so I can do my job well, so I can do what I need to do, what I want to do, which I thought was build a business, be a COO, operations, process, business development, you know, all those things. Uh, Use my business training and business mind for that. So I put myself, I enrolled myself for this weekend and 
sat in that chair and said to the circle of people who were there to be coaches. And I said, well, I'm here because everybody and their mom in my world seems to be a coach and I'm just sick of it. And I work for a coaching business. So I just want to drink the Kool-Aid, a completely disillusioned skeptic, call it what you will. Um, maybe not cynical, but yeah, skeptical. And that we can change my life in so many wow. ways. I did not see that response coming. <laughs> <laughs> I drank that um, oh my gosh, it was life-changing. And coming off of that, I I still wasn't sure if I was going to continue on with the training. I just enrolled for one and I was going to see how this goes. And uh, there was an opportunity to get some free coaching in that program from somebody who's ahead in the training, who's on their way to certification. And uh, that woman helped me heal my relationship with the word coach. And I'm so grateful to her, incredibly grateful, because had she not helped me do that, I wouldn't be where I am, which is in Mumbai as a coach, having moved my life around one more time. She challenged me to coach people before the end of summer, which was 2019. And I did. I pitched myself to somebody I just met who's became a client and somehow got another client and then another one and next thing I knew I was just absolutely waiting for these coaching calls on my calendar and I would say my clients have grown the coach in me if left to my own devices I would still be hiding somewhere and uh, saying no I'm not a coach I'm a business operations gal and uh, just working with the clients brought me an incredible amount of joy, presence, and deep sense of fulfillment, which I'd never known before then. And um, so where this led to is uh, last December, I, I was uh, transitioning out of my role in the company and um, transitioning out of full-time employment. And... Uh, still frantically looking for a job because that's what I was trained to think. I should still get a job, still get my green card, blah, blah, blah. So I got on a call with a coaching, uh, a career coach, a friend of mine who's a career coach. And I said, how do I apply for jobs? And how do I interview for jobs? And she asked me what I wanted to do with my life. And I said, 10 years ago, I'd said when I left India, one, I never thought I would leave. I never thought I would leave and I would never thought I would live in the United States for 10 years, almost 10 years. And I just said, when I left, I thought I would come back and work with women in India. And at that time, I thought, oh, some social enterprise or some nonprofit or something. But I think I finally found how I can serve the world. What is mine to do to serve the world? And she, of course did not let me back down from that. And next thing I know, I decided to relocate to India, which I just did before the pandemic. And the timing is just absolutely uncanny that I had already been planning the relocation. And, and it just gave me the, that, that just gave me the flight, that enough lift up in the air to say, oh, I can, I get to coach. I... Mm-hmm get to make good on my own words from 10 years ago that you know so many times I thought of but never had the 
courage or the the wherewithal to even imagine that I could do it. You've come full circle, Viva. You've come full circle. You're back in Mumbai and you're serving people there and you were doing what you love to be doing and doing something that is helping you become a better human yourself, which is so beautiful. I wanted to say something quickly about what you just said, two things. One, what struck me was that it seems like throughout your path, you are meeting people who are pivotal in helping you take that next step um, on the road. And this woman that you've met who has helped you heal the relationship with coaching, as you, as you put it. And then the other thing you said, which is that the clients that you coach are helping you to stop hiding. And that concept of us not hiding anymore, I think is so important because for many of us, for most of our lives, we are hiding we are hiding. We're not stepping into the light. We're not pursuing our biggest dreams, our biggest aspirations. We are hiding from everything that the world can offer to us to experience in our lives. And so for you, fighting this path in which people that you work with and people who are uh, also supporting your livelihood with this work are helping you come out of the hiding. That's just so beautiful and incredible. And I'm, I'm so happy that through all of your trials and challenges that we've covered, that you were able to find or you were able to get to this path now where this is happening. And I'm so happy for you. Thank you. I think you're raising such a good point, this hiding piece um, for me. And I imagine for many of us, I'm going to say especially as women, is, is the f- sense that I have to earn it. I have to earn enough degrees. I have to earn enough experience. I have to earn enough a name. I have to earn it all. And... It's exhausting when I think that way. And I certainly do many days that it's like, oh, not yet. I haven't earned my place. I haven't earned the credentials to be a coach. I haven't earned, I haven't put 10 years into this right now, blah, blah, blah. And it's, that's what keeps me hiding. And that's what keeps us hiding because what what is it? It's a well-known fact, right? Like women, don't apply to jobs until they feel like they need 90% of the criteria. More, more, hundred, over 100%. They have to be overqualified. Yeah. And, and while men don't think that way and they apply to jobs that they may not be even meeting, whatever, 50% of the... 50 to two-thirds, yes. There you go, yeah. So, I mean, that is, that's, that's what I'm getting at. This earning, I, I'm not worthy... I'm not there yet. I don't uh, know enough or I haven't done enough. And I tell you, uh, a dear friend and mentor once gave me this, which was a life-saving mantra, and I'm going to share that. It's, I couldn't even say it the first time he asked me to repeat it. He asked me to repeat, I have enough. That one was easy to say. I feel incredibly grateful and abundant. So I have enough, I do enough. That one was challenging for me to say. 
And then the third one was, I am enough. I choked, really. I couldn't say I am enough. I had a hard time even saying I do enough because there was always this like tall list of things I had not done. And I have since then added in, I know enough. Because I think I struggle from trying to be the Miss Know-It-All to then thinking I know nothing. So today my mantra is, I do enough, I have enough, I know enough, I am enough. And I am enough because I'm breathing, because I am. I'm alive, I'm breathing, I'm here, I'm here now. And we don't even have to earn our breath. And like that, I don't think we have to earn anything. We're worthy just because we are, because we're breathing, we're alive we are we're not was and one day we will all be you know gone in the past tense but until I'm here I am enough and worthy I don't have to earn it and this I tell myself every day and gosh some days it's really challenging but I truly believe we hide because we feel we have to earn it and that's not true wow I love that I love that and you're touching on so many powerful points there but I think what I want to close with is I always close my interviews with this question. And it's a big question, but let's see how you can start thinking about it, perhaps. Which is, what does it to be a woman who is stepping into her brilliance? What does it mean to be a woman who's stepping into her brilliance? I think the answer is in your question, Yulia, to be for me, that is to embody, to be in my body, and to step, meaning taking that step, not staying where we are, not allowing whatever grips us and paralyzes us and keeps us there, to keep us there, to step and to move. And uh, there's a there's an in, internal. Uh, tug of war in those two things to be and to step meaning to be mm. is just to is being and stepping is doing and is forward momentum or it's just doing anything that one step off the baggage claim carousel as i said taking that one step and i think that is what allows our brilliance which is not out there it's in here to shine through i love that i love that I think this is a good one to close with, Viva. I think we got it. Mm. I think we got it. And I think your point about the dichotomy of being and stepping, of action and inaction, that's also another way of talking about what it means to be a human and to have that end, both ends, hold both of those in you as well. Absolutely. I am enough and I want more. <laughs> you know, I, I get to have more. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you so much. This was such a wonderful conversation and it flew by and I loved having the sounds of the streets of Mumbai to accompany us on this journey. It was beautiful and... Thank you so much for your time. 
Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed our chat to Yulia and I think you're doing some amazing work. Absolutely. Thank you, Viba. Thanks again for sharing an hour of your day with me today. I hope you found it valuable and if so, please consider subscribing to our show so you never miss an episode. And if you're a new listener, thank you so much for checking us out. And don't forget, you can find all the resources, links and show notes over at GeniusWomen.com. That's women with an X. So if there was something you wanted to check out, you can always, always find it over at GeniusWomen.com. That's women spelled as W-O-M-X-N. Thank you again, and I'll see you next week, where I interview a dear friend, Feriel Temar, an Algerian-born, New York and London-raised language coach who now resides in fabulous Paris, France.